BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022. Investments like acquiring America's largest biogas producer, Arkea Energy, and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. And now the list of things that you can buy at the Chicago Reader store at chicagoreader.com. Things to wear like Chicago Reader hats, t-shirts, bandanas, and face masks. Things for your daily life like the Chicago Reader camping mug, Chicago Reader tote bags, and a Chicago Reader reporter's notebook. Things for you to read like our Reader recipes, the Chicago Reader 420 Companion, our Chicago Reader Best of book series from journalists Maya Dukmasaba, Mike Sula, Ben Jarofsky, and Lior Galil, the Chicago Reader coloring book, and the Chicago Reader stay home puzzle. Find the Chicago Reader store at chicagoreader.com and show your support for the nation's first free weekly news newspaper since 1971. Bonus time on the Ben Jurassic Show. As I speak, it's Friday, April 22nd, 2022. Earth Day. Yes, that's what's in the newspapers. I don't think anybody covers Earth Day anymore. Only old hippies like me even remember Earth Day, to be honest with you. Uh, but happy Earth Day, everybody. And two days ago was Reefer Day. So happy Reefer Day, belated Reefer Day. I don't know if I mentioned that uh, on the show. Uh, without further ado, I'm going to bring on my distinguished guests. And as I do with all distinguished guests on the Ben Jarofsky Show, I ask distinguished guests to introduce themselves. So distinguished guests, introduce yourself. Hi, this is Carrie Reed, the theater and dance editor for the Chicago Reader. Yes, but she's much, much more than that. Yes, she is a theater dance uh, editor. Yes, she writes reviews. Yes, she knows theater like nobody else in the world. And yes... We will do a little deep dive as I hold her to task for her less than complimentary review of a play that I'm ecstatic about. And when I say that, Carrie, I'm just saying it wasn't complimentary enough for me. <laughs> when I like a show, I want someone to go, yeah, rah, rah. Good night, good night, Oscar. That's the one I'm talking about. Anyway, uh, I think I recommended it though. So <laughs> look, look at this. She defends herself with a counterpunch. Um, all right, but I'm going to have that brief conversation uh, afterwards just to show illustrate a point I want to make. Uh, my beloved reader that I have worked for for a long time. I'm losing track of time. Oh my goodness, 32 years uh, is hanging by a thread. I've been talking about this for the last several days on this show. And I thought it'd be a good idea to bring Carrie on to take a little deeper dive about it. Uh, Carrie's ex exceedingly knowledgeable about what's going on. She follows things a lot closer than I do. Uh, and uh, talk about the, uh, the impasse. I guess that's the most euphemistic way of calling it. Uh, and she participated yesterday uh, in the action uh, that reader staffers had outside of Len Goodman's house uh, on the north side. And Len Goodman is one of two owners of the reader. Carrie's going to explain all this. So Carrie's going to explain absolutely everything about my beloved reader uh, and the situation it finds itself in. And then uh, Carrie will do a little theater talk at the end just to show you all the good, some of the, a sample, a sample, folks, of what goes if the reader goes. 
so the reader, just so everybody knows, has been in existence since 1971, 51 years. It's like an old hippie. Still, it's like the Grateful Dead, man. It's still going strong. Uh, so, Carrie, take it away. Uh, just explain for folks, uh, you know, as best you can, uh, what's the situation facing the reader. Uh, Go ahead. Well, basically, I mean, this kind of goes back to 2018, which is before I came back. I, I've worked at the reader various in various capacities, off and on, freelance, staff. But at the time, this all started going down. Uh, you know, the groundwork being laid, I was not on staff. Um, 2018, you know, the reader was being spun off from the ownership deal with the uh, the Sun Times. They got new owners to buy into it for a dollar so that it could survive. Those owners were Len Goodman, who is a defense attorney, and Elsie Higginbottom, who is a real estate uh, developer and landlord, owned several buildings and, uh, and uh, several interests on the south side in Bronzeville. Um, they eventually brought in Tracy Bame, of, who was then with Windy City Times, as the publisher. Uh, got whole new, you know, got a lot of new staff. I would say one of the most diverse staffs we've ever had. Um, part of the deal, apparently as we have been told anyway, is that Len would have a, a column, you know, maybe monthly on a regular basis, which was fine until he ran a column, or re-ran a column from him, I should say, in, I think, last November, kind of got into, like, issues of whether or not he should vax his six-year-old daughter. Uh, there was a lot of blowback because there were inaccuracies. Eventually, there was an independent fact-checker who went through it and found about 15, I believe, different points of misstatements, inaccuracies. Um, and there was a whole debate about whether we should run a correction, whether we should pull the column. Uh, none of that happened, by the way. The column is still up there. No retractions or corrections ever have run with it. But out of that, Len and his uh, representatives on the for-profit board have decided to try to hold up the transition to the nonprofit, which was planned from the beginning. My understanding is Tracy came in right from the start and said, this is you know, this is not going to be a viable paper if we're kind of depending on ad revenue. Uh, that was particularly you know, apparent when something like a COVID shutdown hits, right? And all the ad revenue goes away. Um, the transition was supposed to be done by the beginning of the year. It hasn't happened. Uh, to be real clear, we do not need board approval on this. Len has been kind of saying, hey, the board, you know, they have these resolutions and they have to be dealt with. Um, none of that has to happen. It's just him and Elsie. Elsie has been on board all along. Elsie's ready to sign. We're ready to do this transition to the nonprofit. If it doesn't happen, then, you know, we, we're stuck. We're in limbo right now. The not-for-profit can't raise money because they haven't been officially, you know, given the go-ahead. The money that we get in the for-profit is running out. I think we have one, maybe two, pay, you know, uh, payroll cycles left. Um, so until Len Goodman decides to honor his word and sign off on what he had agreed to originally when he came on as um, co-owner, um, we're, we're just in a tough spot, which is why we uh, kind of took the fight to him yesterday and uh, rallied in front of his home in Lakeview. So I hope that I, I hope that was clear as mud. <laughs> but, uh, yes, and the drip, drip, dripping sound, which I don't even know if that's an appropriate uh, sound effect uh, for this, what I'm about to say, is the reader running out of money. And so this is a situation I'm explaining everything. We take deep dives in this show, uh, but I always come back to like a bottom line. And the bottom line is this until Len transfers the reader to the not-for-profit, the not-for-profit cannot raise more money or spend the money it raised. Uh, Len and Elsie are no longer kicking money into the reader. 
So the reader is spending down whatever money it has in its bank account. So folks, imagine this. Imagine uh, you've got uh, $5,000 in the bank and you get fired and you have no more money coming in and you're just spending down. And at some point you're going to run out of money and you won't be able to pay your rent. They're going to kick you out of your house. And that is what's happening with the reader. Drip, drip, drip. That's the sound effect that I've just come up and, with on the bench. And I, I should show. say that LZ has offered to help, you know, in the short term, put in more money to help cover payroll, cover costs. But that is not a sustainable model. You know, the whole idea of this for going for non-for-profit was let's get away from having, you know, a couple money guys in charge of our fate. If we make it a non-profit, then we're getting buy-in from the community. We're getting buy-in from all kinds of other, you know, foundational grants. And those have been we've been doing pretty well with those. Um, that's one reason we've been able to be in growth mode, even coming out of the COVID shutdown, which is pretty astounding, considering that other alt weeklies and publications have had to shut down completely. Um, and that I, I, I think that's uh, part of the frustration and pain we're feeling is that you know we've brought on new staff. We have a whole racial and social justice reporting initiative that we're supposed to be hiring, you know, a new editor for, new writers. Um, all systems are ready to go. We just need one man to sign the paper so we can flip that switch. All right. Uh, so essentially there's uh, t- two issues. And as a uh, aging baby boomer uh, who is obsessed about politics since the 1960s, Carrie Reed, yeah, that's a long time. <laughs> I tend to any contentious, uh, anything that's remotely contentious, I slap uh, the word gate to the end of it, uh, to <laughs> paying homage to Watergate, which was my coming of age scandal when I first <clears throat> realized uh, that the system is rigged to a certain degree. So there's two gates uh, in this dispute, as, as I see it. There's column gate and there's transfer gate. They're two separate issues. Uh, I'm going to deal with column gate briefly at the outset. I am very sympathetic, actually, to Len Goodman when it comes to column gate. I've said this many times uh, to my staffers, to my um, staffer uh, colleagues uh, and union brothers and sisters at the Chicago Reader. Uh, and I say this because I have been a columnist for 5,000 years, and I've had my issues with various editors down uh, through the years. Let me tell you that, Carrie Reed. I think at this moment, Carrie Reed is one of my editors. So I'm just going to send her a bouquet of flowers and tell her how wonderful she is. Uh, <laughs> I just, uh, I just check the commas, you know, you're God bless good you. on that. <laughs> I, and, and folks, I make a ton of mistakes. Everybody knows this. They always, everybody makes fun of me, Carrie, because uh, like, I'm first of all, I'm battling dyslexia my entire life. And then I just like, Here's the thing. We're on a tangent with a tangent, Carrie. But as an editor and a writer, you should appreciate this. It's the things you think you know mm-hmm. that'll trip you up. So just right. the other day at a column, I made reference to Billie Jean, the great song by Michael Jackson. And I said it's from off uh, it's from off the wall. Karen Hawkins, God bless you, <laughs> greatest editor of all time, caught it. And she goes, mm. Ben, I think you mean thriller. And I'm like, Holy shit. Yeah. <laughs> so happy you caught that, Karen Hawkins. I would have been looking really stupid. Uh, so God bless editors. Okay. I'm going to give you guys a shout out there, Carrie. All right. On the other hand, I've had editors like, Ben, I don't agree with this. Uh, you know, well, write your own damn column. You don't agree with my column. Write your own column. I, I, I don't think it was so much a question of opinion, though, with Len. I, if you don't mind me jumping in here. I think it was that the way that facts were kind of represented, it was kind of interesting because at the same week that his column ran. There was a column from Deanna Isaacs, your your longtime you know peer and colleague, staff writer. Um, it was a not for profit issue. That was the theme of it. And Deanna did a deep dive into a 
uh, kind of bogus not-for-profit, I think I would have to say, called the Brownstone Institute, which has been doing a lot of anti, you know, at the time they were kind of like uh, pushing to open up with COVID, you know. And one of the points she made in the column is that if you go to the stuff that the Brownstone Institute puts on their site, it looks like it's pretty well sourced because they have all these links. But when you do the deep dive, which she was able to do, you see that they're not, sometimes they're actually flipping the the results of a study or they're cherry picking things. I think that was the feeling that that is what had, had happened. You know, it's, it's you're entitled to your own opinion. You're not, you're not entitled to your own facts. So I think that's where some of the pushback came. I don't want to spend a lot of time on it though, because I really do feel like if it hadn't been this column, there would be some other kind of control issue. And, you know, the idea that an owner has a column <laughs> is always going to be putting us in a tough spot, right? I mean, you can push back, Ben, but you're not paying our, as far as I know, you're not paying my salary. And if you are, God bless you. Um, <laughs> and I'd like a raise. <laughs> okay. well, but I think that's yeah. the distinction where a lot of the staff, at least, you know, and people outside the reader who were reading the column felt there right. was uh, that 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 was what was going on there. I could push back on that front, but I won't because if this is the next point I want to make. As much as I'm sympathetic to Len as a fellow columnist, and as much as I disagree with, uh, I'm going to throw this out there, Eric Zorn and others who said that he shouldn't have had the column in the first place, uh, and as much as I appreciated him as a guest on my show and he came on, he talked about his columns, and all that is true. Where we are at now with Transfergate, the second gate, the bigger gate, is outrageous. And I'm saying this as Len's biggest sympathetic friend at the reader, and maybe his only sympathetic friend at the reader. Len, man, you got to let this go. This is just me speaking. Uh, you got to let it go. I'm with you on the column, uh, but think of all the mileage you've gotten out of it. Man, you've got articles in the Tribune. You, uh, you. Robert Shears running to your assistance. It's not like you've been a lone voice in the wilderness. MAGA loves you, man. <laughs> I bet you Aaron Rodgers will get you a sideline pass to watch a Packers game. So it's 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 not as like you've been voiceless in this. You've had your you had your an opportunity to broadcast your view about this for the whole world. There's a second issue, and that's. Uh, what I call Transfergate, just merely signing over to the not-for-profit control the reader. So Tracy Bame and her team, and let me tell you, it's not just Tracy. She's got a great team of people who are going to try to raise the money they need as we follow this new way of conducting business, Carrie, which is a little, for an old goat like me, it's it's a little different. You know what I'm saying? I mean, we're used to the for-profit model where you sell ads. Those Apparently, that's obsolete. Although, uh, although our ad team has been doing great, and that's one reason we have actually been able to keep going, even, you know, a little during this time of limbo, you know, we had our Best of Chicago issue, and they did an amazing job of selling for that. And uh, But again, that it's we knew before the COVID shutdown. I mean, the the writing's been on the wall for ad, ad revenue-driven uh, media for, I don't know, 15, 20 years at least, it feels like. Uh, yeah, the, the writing has been on the wall. And uh, you've been, when did you start at The Reader? I can't remember. When did you um, start at The Reader? I, well, uh, my first time at The Reader was in 1992 as a classified sales rep, back when classifieds were really the fiscal engine, right? I mean, that was ka-ching, ka-ching, ka-ching. I worked there part-time. Uh, my current position I've been in since 2019. I came on in July of 2019, so not even a year before the, the COVID 
crisis hit. Well, then you know what uh, what the uh, the environment was back in the day, and so oh, absolutely, yeah. Uh, so it is a new model; it's a new day. Uh, and uh, so, okay, talk a little bit about uh, the rally yesterday. Uh, it was, I was um, in yeah. Los Angeles. Uh, I missed it. Go ahead. Yes, uh, the reader has had. I mean, the, and you would know more about this than I do, Ben, because you were president at the birth of the Chicago Reader Editorial Union, which predates you know the current management. Um, uh, there's, I think, about. I, if I get this wrong, Philip Montoro, our chair, will probably be mad at me. But I think there's 12 of us or 13 in the union. Um, but we were all out there, Chicago Federation of Labor, um, a couple aldermen. I'm going to forget speakers, and I'm going to feel terrible about that. Tiffany Walden from the Tribe, uh, which is a black-run publication. Um, and they've had, they've had partnerships with the reader in the past. In fact, I think Tiffany said she got her start writing for Philip, who is our, in addition to our uh, Union chair is the uh, unit chair is the um, long time. I think he's been there 26 years as the uh, music editor of the reader. Um, speakers from some of our uh, uh, speeches from some of our newer writers, Kelly Garcia, who is uh, wonderful, just got an award. And I will, I can't remember the name of the organization giving it to her, but for her reporting on domestic violence court, um, you know, we had, uh, we had old timers showing up. Michael Mike Miner, the longtime editor and columnist, you know, was there. So we had former staffers, freelancers, uh, all kinds of other unions showing up. I, I'm estimating. I don't know if anyone did a headcount. We had probably at least a hundred people there. Um, the tone was respectful. We were, you know, not stepping on the nicely planted tulips on the corner <laughs> that uh, the neighbors had warned us about. Um, Mr. Goodman did not come out. I don't know if he was in his house. He certainly knew we were coming. Um, and I think part of it was about helping to create awareness, certainly, because we had a lot of media out there. But, you know, part of it, I think, Ben, was also for us to get a sense of solidarity. We haven't worked together in an editorial office since March of 2020. Um, we're putting out the paper by, um, uh, yeah, I'm just being handed a note by my assistant who said he read it was over 120 there. So, <laughs> Wow. Are you have an assistant? I need yeah, an assistant. Yeah, he, he showed up. And what's funny is he was holding the sign that said, I'd rather be writing. And uh, he's a mathematician. So, you know. <laughs> but no, there were very creative signs. Um, I think I got the, I didn't make this one. So I have to give credit to the, the, the sign making team that worked over last weekend. Mine said, just break up with us already, which is, I think, what we feel like. You know, it's like, Len, we gave it a shot. It didn't work out. Let's just go our separate ways. I mean, I feel like he is certainly a wealthy enough man if he wanted to start his own publication to, you know, have his own outlet. He could certainly do that. Um, I guess what we all feel is like this paper has been built, this, you know, organization has been built on the blood and the sweat and the creativity and the talent of people over 51 years, as you pointed out. Um, and for that history and that legacy, as well as all the wonderful plans that we have just waiting to go to take us into the next era because of one man's peak would feel just incredibly tragic. Yes. And, uh, I've pointed this one out on the show, uh, Carrie, I don't know if I've shared this with you. Uh, so as the old timer and the reader, I've survived quite a few existential threats to the existence of the reader. And I think back on various recessions, at least three or four recessions, uh, including one brought on by 9-11, which was uh, really devastating to the reader because the impact of 9-11 uh, was so devastating 
to the entertainment industry in Chicago that is connected with the reader. Everybody knows that. Uh, and then Craigslist, which de- really hurt our classified sales, to put it mildly. The growth of Facebook, which further hurt us. Uh, didn't hurt us as much as, let's say, the Tribune of the Sun-Times because we were always a freebie, which is ironic. Uh, <laughs> we were ahead of the game on that regard. But um, And we survived them up. bankruptcy, uh, owned by a hedge fund, sold to the bright one. The bright one tried to put us out of existence. I, I see you sometimes, not the current people, but that old bunch there where you know you were trying to put us out of existence. Uh, quote unquote saved when Edward Eisendrath brought together his team of investors, which include Leonard Goodman uh, and Elsie uh, Higginbottom. And then they're like, we don't want the reader, Edwin. I see you, Edwin. You didn't want the reader. Uh, and somehow or other, we survived. Tracy Bain took control and Karen Hawkins, their a tag team partnership there. And it's like for the first time, there's like a glimmer of hope on the horizon. Right. And <laughs> are you kidding me? We're going to be annihilated because the guy who came to save us is mad at us. He's <laughs> like, Carrie, if you saw this on stage in a play, you wouldn't believe it. Yeah. I mean, it just feels like I, I think I may have I've used this analogy a lot, but it's like when you're in the slasher film, like when COVID hit, I really was not sure we were going to survive it. Because as you said, I mean, the entertainment sector, I mean, everything shut down, as we all know, with COVID. So nobody's advertising, no clubs, no theaters, no bars, restaurants, nothing. I mean, honestly, the fact that cannabis had been legalized a couple months earlier was one thing that helped us because at least the dispensaries were advertising, right? Um, it, tying back to 420. Um So it feels like to go through all that and to actually be in growth mode, which a lot of media outlets have not been in, having this incredibly diverse, you know, scrappy staff, which I think speaks to free speech, that we are actually doing a better job representing more communities in Chicago than perhaps we have in the past. And then to feel like, okay, we just made it through this kind of COVID slasher film, bad economy we're th- almost there, and then there's somebody with the hockey mask and a knife or a chainsaw or whatever coming up behind us again, and it's like, really? Didn't we already take care of this? <laughs> like, can we just can we just get get through? Um, you know, and I think will we survive even if we go nonprofit? I think yes. There's no guarantee there, but I think the idea is to have that diversity. You know, to have a diversity of funding that again is representative of the city and the support we get rather than just have a couple people. I do want to say we are, in fact, despite the fact that we were protesting in his house yesterday, grateful that Len Goodman stepped up, grateful that Elsie Higginbottom stepped up, grateful for everyone who donated, who bought coloring books and puzzles and all the other stuff we were doing in 2020 just to get some money in the coffers. Um, But I also want to point out that the staff took pay cuts and furloughs and were not terribly well paid to start with. So we stepped up too, and I think what we're asking for now is just respect and um, keeping to the pledge to just let this transition go through without all these additional handcuffs attached to it. Yeah, no, absolutely. That was a good riff, and uh, yeah, I mean, there was the irony of irony, folks. It, by the way, if I were to write this like an old-fashioned reader story, I, this could be a, 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 a long-form old-fashioned reader story. It would be, what a trip this story would be. I, I kind of view it uh, two ways. There's like the reader writer in me, Carrie, that it's so embedded so deeply inside of me that I can't get out of it, you know, I can't get rid of it. And I'm like, oh, man, this would be a good story. Uh, all the little twists and turns. 
Uh, and then, of course, <laughs> there's like the reader employee, habita, habita. Oh, no. What's going to happen? No right. health care. No money. Right. Right. My beloved podcast. Uh, but I, um, I want to say it was about October, to your point, to the point you just made. Uh, Len Goodman uh, held a fundraiser for the reader at his house. And a lot of, I wasn't there, but a lot of reader no, people. I, I, nor was I. So, I, yeah, I, I've only seen the outside of the house at this point. <laughs> <laughs> I've not seen the outside or the inside. But the point is, that's how strange this is. He threw a fundraiser for the reader. Uh, all the reader uh, right. editors were there. Uh, the great Mike Sula was there, who was the extraordinary uh, food critic, restaurant writer, uh, just some of the talent that the reader has. And uh, and here we are. That's three months. So, yes. So the man, that's so bizarre. The man who saved the reader is now the man who could potentially kill the reader. Right. And, and he keeps saying he doesn't want that to happen. But it's like, well, you know, I think that you need that. I think that was part of what we wanted to accomplish yesterday is to show him that these are the faces, the people who will suffer. This is the community that supports us. And if you, if you are legitimate about wanting to save the reader and not wanting it to go under, it's go time. You know, we, you know, this, this brinksmanship is just not doing us any good. And I think, um, you know, we've done very, you know, you can follow uh, the Chicago reader on, on Twitter, on Instagram, Chicago reader union, I should say. Um, But all of us have been sharing stories about the effects it's had on us. It's, it's not fun to spend four months wondering whether or not you're going to have a job and health insurance and still try to do your job. Um, And it's also, frustrating again to be thinking of the great ideas we have the great partnerships we can do as a nonprofit, all the different tools that that will give us that we're not being allowed to access until this transition goes through and again i want to emphasize in terms of the column nothing ever changed there len pretty much got his way you know it was fact checked there was a report but it never was publicized there was no retraction the column is still up and being shared every you know by by various you know uh, people who are inclined to, um, you know, support his conclusions. Yes, that's, that's going back to column gate, which is different than transfer gate. Absolutely, uh, and transfer gate's the real monster in this baby. It here. is. I mean, we can't. We, I, I think at this point, as far as the union goes, uh, we're feeling that we can't have a conversation while we're being held hostage. You know, you can't meet on a level playing field when one person holds your livelihood in their hands. And that is exactly what's happening here. So. All right. Uh, we'll take a break from that conversation. Cause I have a feeling uh, to quote uh, the Beatles that this is not going anywhere and that we'll probably bring uh, Carrie back for updates. She, uh, Carrie, you've new job. I'm really good at giving jobs at the Ben Jarofsky show. Okay. Uh, I just gave someone a job yesterday. He is our official Eric Adams correspondent because he lives in New York. <laughs> I just assigned someone to be our WNBA correspondent. You are our official uh, Len Goodman uh, reader transfer gate correspondent. Oh, gosh. Um, you're going to get paid just as much as everybody else who's a correspondent. In the bed. But you know what? I'm going to double your salary, okay? All right. Uh, sounds good. So I've just doubled your salary. <laughs> it's like the old, the old far side cartoon where the guy's at the door of the salesman. He says, wait, double my intelligence or no money back? Great. Where do I sign? <laughs> That's funny. All right. So let's close a little theater talk. Sure. Unfortunately, uh, I can't be current with my theater talk because the two plays that I saw 
Uh, I have left Chicago. One is uh, of the two plays that I loved beyond uh, rational explanation, I think, is coming to Los Angeles. And I may, this is what a groupie I am. Carrie, laugh at me, if you will. I'm thinking of going to L.A. to take all my L.A. family to go with them to the show uh, because that's how much I liked it. And it, it's called King James. It was at the Steppenwolf Theater. It closed, I think, last week. Uh, if anybody out there in listener land either lives in Los Angeles uh, or anywhere near Los Angeles or has a lot of um, free miles on airplanes and they live in Chicago, go to the Mark Taper Theater. In my humble opinion, this play is the quintessential basketball junkies friendship play that I really understand, Carrie, because I have so many friends similar, you know, we're just basketball junkies obsessed with it in this particular case it's two guys from cleveland so their obsession has surrounds lebron james hence the name king james he does not make an appearance an actor does not make an appearance in that play playing lebron james so um what's your take on king james take it away. you know I, th I think it's funny maybe this is a weird transition to make with it but you know a part of it is about the anger when james leaves town like do i am i still loyal to this guy like I think I may have mentioned to you before, there's a company uh, improv group out of Cleveland called Last Call Cleveland, and they got a little bit of notoriety when the RNC convention was in Cleveland in 2016 because they had previously done these like goofy YouTube tourism videos for Cleveland, which are all about like how depressing Cleveland is. And there is a line in one of them, our economy is based on LeBron James. And, you know, <laughs> when LeBron leaves, these two guys in the play are just kind of like, well, how can we be loyal? How do we work this out? Um, one of them's white, one of them's black. It's not really about the racial tension between them until towards the end when it kind of is, you know, that's, um, I think I won't say any more on that in case, you know, your, your LA fan team is uh, going to be making a trip to, <laughs> to see it by Rajiv Joseph. Um, Glenn Davis was in it. Who's the new co-artistic director of Steppenwolf. It, you know, it's just, it, it's like acting catnip. I think a play like that, you get two guys who are in sync with each other who, you know, get to just riff on this stuff and it's 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 a lot of fun to watch i will definitely say that uh and the uh there's two act it's a it's a, a two-band right. show right and the, uh, i'm blanking it, on the other actor who is in abbott elementary which i have not watched yet so <laughs> run don't walk to yeah. watch abbott elementary in my humble opinion right. uh abbott elementary is so sweet and it's just if you love, if you have any love for teachers uh, who in, in big city schools, this one is in Philadelphia, then you really have to watch Abbott Elementary. But yes, uh, the actor who is in Abbott Elementary that play the white guy in Abbott Elementary uh, is <laughs> and, one, of and the he's characters. the white guy in King James too. Uh, funny, that is correct. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he's getting good at the white guy roles. He's exactly. so good, uh, and um, yeah, and so I got a feeling that. Um, it'll be a bigger show in LA than it was in Chicago. I didn't think it got uh, nearly enough. This is, this, this, this is something I want to talk to you about. So the disconnect in Chicago, mm -hmm. in my humble opinion, between the theater world and the rest of the city is huge. And can be. absolutely can be, I think. Yeah. Yeah. And so like, I would be telling people, there's this play, the Steppenwolf called King James, it's about basketball. <laughs> you can right. go. They go, I don't like theater. Oh, God, plays suck. And I, I saw, you know, uh, 
uh, some play in high school and I've never been the same since, you know, but I'm like, no, no, no. A mice and man. That's like the one play I think everybody has seen. And, yeah. um, or our town. <laughs> yeah. Our town. Oh, that'll do it to anyone. But, and so I just didn't feel I got any buzz. Uh, they were, they were always like selling the tickets for less. I was happy for that, but I didn't pay, you know, but, uh, you know what I'm saying? Uh, Carrie, right. it was, it was just like, it didn't have, it didn't grab the attention of people who would otherwise see it and like it, like right, basketball right. fans. I have a feeling in LA because LeBron James lives in LA, plays for the Lakers, uh, and because of the uh, star power, it'll right. have a bigger draw. Your and, thoughts on Chicago versus LA as theater towns? Yeah, I think that, well, there's a few different things. I think partly it's because Chicago is so homegrown, ensemble based. We tend to shy away from the whole idea of like, marquee names, star casting, you know, it's about the work, it's about the, you know, the process, it's about, which is great for everybody involved in it, but I don't know that that always encourages people to come and see the show, and I think this will in some ways tie in with um, the next show you want to talk about, but I absolutely agree, yeah, like, people who have interests outside of theater maybe aren't marketed to as well as they could be when there is a show that absolutely represents their interests on stage, um, you know, in fact, this is something I've been talking about with coverage for the reader and would, what I'd like to be able to do if we continue is to, you know, have more conversations with people who cover a certain topic who maybe aren't theater critics, but bring them to the theater and say, how well does this topic on stage, how well does it mesh up with what you know? And that could be social justice issues. You know, Katie Proud, who's one of our wonderful staff writers who writes a lot about the unhoused. I'm thinking next time I'm going to see a play that is in some way about the problems of housing, I'd love to bring Katie as my plus one and say, what, how does this tie in with what you, the people you've talked to who are facing this, you know? Um, so that's one thing, but I also think, yeah, there's just 10, there tends to be this, we don't really want to point out that we have stars or big names in the cast, even though they do often. Um, and, uh, I, I think that maybe ties in a little bit with the, 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 uh, Good night, Oscar. Which I'm assuming is the other play you wanted to talk about. Yes, absolutely, we're getting <laughs> starring a good night Sean Oscar. Hayes. Let's oh. just put that right out there from Will yeah. and Grace. If, if you don't know, which I'm sure there's like maybe five people in the world who don't. So. Well, actually, you'd be surprised how many people don't know. We'll get into that. By the way, I just got. I have to do this. Chris Perfetti is his name. A humble apologies to you, Chris thank, Perfetti. Thank you. Yeah, sorry, Chris. That's the I, name of the actor. Yeah. Brilliant yeah. actor. He's great at Abbott Elementary. He's sensational. Uh, in King James, and I humbly apologize for just blanking in your name. Please forgive me. I'm like a thousand years old. Uh, and um, But he's, yeah, he's fantastic. And so I think th that Abbott Elementary uh, connection may help more in L.A. And I love your idea about bringing different voices to the discussion about Chicago theater who might have some relevance. So it's like if you had to stage, for instance, uh, To Kill a Mockingbird, a trial lawyer. I just threw that out there, you know. Um all right, let's talk. Good night, Oscar. Yeah, yeah. Good night, Oscar. Absolutely. Which I think is actually closing this weekend, but I'm not sure. Yeah, I I think you can get tickets maybe if you're willing to pay a lot of money at this point. <laughs> but uh, I think it might be officially sold out at the Goodman. All right, so and it's a world premiere. So yes. yeah. Um, I saw. I don't know if I told you this. My wife and I saw. Uh, we're we love musicals. We saw Promises, Promises, uh, back in 2010. In oh, New York okay. City, by chance, we were we happened to be there. We saw it, and that's a, a a Neil Simon play. Anyway, neither here nor there. And 
I didn't know anything about Sean Hayes. I, I don't watch uh, much TV, so I didn't. I heard of Will and Grace, but I don't. I don't know if I ever saw it. I saw Sean Hayes as a theater performer, and Carrie, my wife and I were like blown away by the man's talent on stage. I can't even describe to you the way he he just captured the audience, and he was totally in character, and every movement was perfectly choreographed almost it was so natural he he was like dick van dyke i don't know if you are old enough to remember dick van dyke was very nimble on his feet uh he could like fall over and, the uh, and you know couch. he still is he's like in his 90s and dick yes. van dyke's still not not bad <laughs> no he's really i saw him at a bernie sanders rally he was unbelievable and uh, he was doing things with his hat like he, he was fumbling his hat he still had that dexterity and my wife and i said Anytime we can see Sean Hayes in a play, we're going to see Sean Hayes in a play. And then we saw him in uh, Goodnight Oscar, totally playing what would seem a character he's right. not a, relevant to. Killed it. Ever, again, yeah. he just freaking yeah. killed I'm like standing and, and cheering. And, and I, 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 mean, I mean, talk about, I, I don't know if Oscar Levant is a name that people, you know, I sort of know who he is because I'm, a, you know, my parents were Jack Parr fans and they would talk about seeing him. And I love American, an American in Paris where he's, you know, the wing band of Gene Kelly, um, you know, composer, raconteur, uh, the kind of guy who always made fun of his own mental foibles and frailties. And that's definitely present in this play, which takes place. It's kind of fictionalized uh, on a night when he's supposed to be appearing on the Jack Parr show, which is just maybe moving to L.A. Jack Parr's not happy about that. Oscar has to be basically sprung from the locked ward where he's at to come and be on the show. So it's a lot of, you know, I think in my review, I said, it's a lot like, uh, to me, it's a lot like my favorite year, which is one of my favorite movies where, you know, they, they got the guy who has to babysit Peter O'Toole's alcoholic matinee idol to make sure he can stay with this live television show here. It's, is Oscar going to be in any kind of shape to show up? Um, he does. And, you know, I think it raises some points about, celebrity culture about how you know how much do we actually want to see people falling apart in front of us we've just gone through this whole thing with britney spears you know people are like for years they were making fun of her and then they're like oh wait she was really in a lot of pain she was really under a lot of control that uh from other people that was completely seemingly unfair you know <laughs> um so that there's a real human price on that but we also get to see, and I don't think it's a spoiler. They, they asked us not to really talk about this too much in the review, but I mean, the show's almost finished its run. So we get to see Sean Hayes play Gershwin, who was kind of the nemesis idol of, of Levant. The very last part of the play is just him playing Rabstein Blue, and it is amazing. I mean, it, it is just him. It's not, no miming, no, no faking it. He just goes all out, and it's, it, it, it was astounding. So Yeah, top of everything else. I didn't realize this until I read about him. He's a a, a fantastic piano player, uh, and he puts yeah. he man he shows his chops right there on and, the stage. And, and, and I, you know, I agree with you. I didn't see it. when they announced this show. I thought, I know he's really talented. I know he's you know a, a great comic presence. I just saw him as not necessarily having that kind of dark, morbid you know psychic weight that Oscar Levant would bring to things, even when he was making fun of himself. You know, it was clear that this is a man who's in pain. And um, so I will say that Sean Hayes made a believer of me. Yeah. And uh, the show is going to Broadway, isn't it? Is, I would, I I would imagine. Yeah. I don't know if it's been officially announced for a house there okay. yet, but I, 
I can't imagine that it's not. It's written by Doug Wright, who also wrote I Am My Own Wife, which uh, Jefferson Mays did many years ago at the Goodman. Um, he's written several other things. Um, but yeah, um, I, I, it'll be interesting to see how this play does when it's no longer uh, Sean Hayes in that part. I'm sure there's a lot of people who'd like to take a crack at it. He's set a very high bar he did. <laughs> for that role. I'm going to give a shout out to Doug Wright, though, playwright. Uh, in my humble opinion, and I'm not going to give it away, people. So just relax. In my humble opinion, the single funniest line of the 21st century is uttered in this play by Sean Hayes uh, when he's talking to Jack Parr. And it has to do with Marilyn Monroe. And I am saying no more. Carrie, I don't know if you remember that line. I do. I do. And what's funny is that some of the lines they used were actual Oscar Levant quips, but then were th- those were, then there were things that Doug Wright wrote to sound like Oscar Levant. And that's always tough when you're trying to like match up with the real thing. So, um, and I'm not sure which one that is, but I believe that that was a Doug Wright line. For oh, sure. it has to yeah. be. I cannot yeah. imagine that line. Uh, if, if that line was uttered uh, on the Jack Parr show live, <laughs> uh, the way they, yeah. they suggest it is, it would right, be right. immortal. It's, there's lines like that, like they're attributed to Johnny Carson are actually jokes, like the Zaza Gabor line. Do you know what I'm talking about? Do you know about the Zaza Gabor line? I and don't, the cat? but I'm always up for a good so, Zaza story. Okay, so here it is. So, um, uh, let's, oh man, I can't do, I gotta do Johnny Carson on the spot. Uh, fighting dyslexia. So I remember the line correctly. And, uh, uh, Karen Hawkins is not here to correct me if I get it wrong. <laughs> uh, so Zaza Gabor, uh, everybody, uh, youngsters just Google Zaza, Zaza Gabor is on the Johnny Carson show and she has a cat, uh, and she's sitting in her lap and she's petting the cat. Um, <laughs> And so allegedly, I just think this is, didn't really happen, folks. Zaza Gabor uh, says to Johnny Carson, would you like to stroke my pussy? And allegedly, Johnny Carson says to Zaza Gabor, yeah, get the damn cat out of the way. Now, <laughs> I don't believe that really happened. I just think that was a joke uh, that somebody wrote up and it got attributed to uh, Johnny Carson. So similarly, I just don't think uh, Oscar Lance said that to Jack Parr on the show. I think Doug Wright wrote that. Um, that's just my belief. Anyway, for that line alone, go see the play. Uh, before I let you go, Carrie, uh, if you want to give any, uh, just final shout outs of people about the reader, uh, if people want to get involved or want to stay up on things, where can they go? Where can they get information? Yeah, well, if you've got, um, you know, social media, we're doing a lot on our, uh, Twitter feed and that is, um, it's, uh, at, uh, Reader underscore union. Um, we post a lot of, we've got a lot of photos and updates, news updates there. Um, we have, if, if you go to that, we can, uh, there's a link tree on that site and you can click on that and it'll help you uh, get connected with uh, email updates, uh, you know, kind of our, our letter that I ran in, uh, in the, uh, the Tribune last week. Um, I'm told there will be a Washington Post piece coming out later. Um, so we're getting a lot more national coverage too, and I'm hoping that that will, you know, help uh, focus attention, you know, in the right places, if you will. Um, I, I don't want to, you know, it, we're in a tough spot. We don't want to make it sound like we're going away tomorrow, but it is definitely a very dicey situation right now. Um, so all the love and all the support we got from people at the rally yesterday that we've been getting online, 
Um, Monday, I know that um, there's going to be a public letter from various arts and cultural organizations in the city that um, have, have depended on the reader for coverage, you know, not just in theater and dance, but visual arts, music, gallery, you know, galleries, readings, fairs, you name it. Um, we, we cover so much and often in ways that are not, um, you know, that, that aren't present in the, in the dailies necessarily. Um, so yeah, we, uh, please join us. Please, uh, let us, let us, uh, give us a shout out on social media. We have a Facebook page, Instagram. If you just do a search for reader union, I don't have the exact addresses in my head right now. And I probably should. And again, they'll all yell at me for this, but, um, we know how search engines work. You can find us and, uh, you know, please, please follow along and, and, and amplify and just explain as much as you can. I know it's a complicated situation seemingly, but to me, it's real simple. You promise to let us transition to nonprofit. Keep that promise. Just sign the papers. You know, all this other stuff is just noise in the background and distractions and obfuscation for what needs to happen and for the reader to continue beyond 51 years. All right. Very good. Well done, Carrie Reed. Uh, you just got hired as the, uh, the Bedrosky Show's theater critic. Uh, so we're going to have to triple your salary. Oh, my God. I don't know where I'm going to get all this money. Uh, but uh, anyway, you did a great job. Thank you very much. Oh, and, thank you, Ben. Uh, all right. Very good. That's the great uh, Carrie Reed. I'm Ben Jarofsky. Take care, everybody. Bye.